Good afternoon. Welcome to week 14 of our summer series, The Gospel According to Jesus. Uh, we are in the, the, the final part of that series, and this is all about Jesus explaining His gospel. Uh, today, the subject is going to be about the promise of justification. Uh, certainly, some would say, and arguably, that justification is the most important doctrine in the Scripture. Uh, you can draw your own conclusions about that. I, I, I think it would be hard to argue against that. But at the same time, uh, we, we all hear the Word and we, will, we exegete the Word and we do that in accordance to the Word. And so you think about that as we talk about justification today in Scripture. But let first, as we always do, let's have prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we look now to Your Word and we ask that You would draw our hearts to You. Uh, that you would guide our minds during this period, that you would fill our imaginations and control our wills so that we might be wholly yours. We ask that you would reveal to us that which you would have us know and then to use us as you will in your service, always to your glory and to the welfare of your people through Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. Again, the title of today's lesson is The Promise of Justification. I was just reading stuff this week and listening to stuff this week, uh, some of it on YouTube, some of it in, in other books that I have. But there was this uh, funny little, uh, well, you might call it funny, you might even call it silly, but there was a questionnaire about righteousness. And the questionnaire began with the, the usual thing that said, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being God and 2 being noses, where would you say you are with regard to personal justification, uh, personal uh, righteousness. Uh, you know, that, 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 that's sort of silly, but at the same time, I guess it makes us think about uh, how we see ourselves in terms of righteousness. Uh, most of the time, I think, and, and certainly would even hope that most of us are, are very cautious about looking at ourselves with any degree of righteousness apart from that which is imputed to us. Uh, and, of course, I think that's what the, the, the questionnaire was trying to do, get people to do is to reflect on that, to do a little self-introspection there. Uh, we all know we're, not anywhere, we're nowhere close to being a 10, uh, and most of us would probably think we're not even close to being a 2. So, <clears throat> again, that, that puts us on the low end of that particular righteousness scale. In today's lesson... The gospel according to Jesus, Jesus tells us what he expects in terms of righteousness. In Matthew 5, 48, he says, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, I, I would imagine that's one of those draw-jopping, draw, draw or as they would say in today's thing, to drop the mic kind of a thing. You know, after you say that, what else can you possibly say? But he, that's the expectation from the gospel of Jesus, is that we be perfect even as the Father in heaven is perfect. We know that nobody's perfect, but I know that in, in, as Jesus was speaking those words in the, in the time that he was speaking, in the time of his ministry, most of the Jews of that day thought that the Pharisees uh, came as close to being perfect as you can possibly get. They knew the law. They were very uh, astute at, at understanding and, and, uh, and even writing new laws, uh, but in obeying the laws. But the Pharisees were not perfect either. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, in the 20th verse, let me go back over there. 
Jesus again speaking says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So if everybody thought that the perfect people were not perfect, all right, Jesus told them that the perfect people in their minds were not, not perfect, and it, the expectation from Christ was, in His gospel, is that they had to even exceed that righteousness. And of course, it caused the disciples over in Matthew 19, 25, to think to themselves, He says in the 21st verse, When His disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Knowing that they couldn't attain the righteousness of God, and that even the scribes and Pharisees who were in their eyes the perfect people of the day, and their, their righteousness had to exceed that righteousness, of course, that, that certainly was a, a, a blow to any expectation they had of whether they were going to be able to accede into the, the kingdom of heaven or not. Martin Luther uh, as, as everyone knows, Martin Luther was the, the instigator of, of the Reformation, if you will. Uh, Martin Luther was a monk. Uh, he, was, he spent his days, and uh, almost all of his life, at the, in the Black Cloister uh, Monastery in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, meditating on the perfect righteousness of God. And uh, even as he did that, he realized that the standard of perfect righteousness that the Apostle Paul had, had said that we needed to do, as well as Jesus saying that we needed to do, was absolutely unattainable. In, his, in the, uh, a book that's, that's called The uh, uh, Table Talk, which is a sort of a compilation of, of Luther's writings, Helmut Co uh, Lehman, 1967, is when this particular edition was, uh, was written, was, has an excerpt that, that said that captured some things that, that Martin Luther had said in one of his, his writings. He said, That expression, the righteousness of God, was like a thunderbolt in my heart. He said, I hated the Apostle Paul with all my heart when I read that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And only afterwards when I saw the words that follow, namely that it's written that the righteous shall live through faith, and in addition consulted Augustine, I was cheered. When I learned that the righteousness of God is His mercy and that He makes us righteous through it, a remedy was offered to me in my affliction. And of course, that, that red pill moment, if you will, is, is what caused Martin Luther to write his 99 Thesis, post them on the church house door, and out of that fell the Reformation, uh, which brings us to today. Justification by faith from the beginning. We know that in the, this, this, uh, this thing called justification by faith, as, uh, if, if we go to many places in the Bible, but the one that I, I love to go to just, to, to just sort of reiterates again and again and again how important faith is to the believer. Uh, if we go to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, starting at verse 1 all the way through the end of, of Hebrews, all it talks about here is about how many of God's people were justified by faith. Uh, it, it goes on to say in the, ninth, in the sixth verse, he begins by saying, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and is that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is, is certainly essential to 
just to our justification and certainly essential to our eternal life. But what is justification? There's a parable that Jesus told in the uh, 18th chapter of Luke where he was trying to uh, point out to the scribes and Pharisees about their own lack of righteousness. Starts in the, the 18th chapter, the 9th verse, and he says, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, specifically the scribes and Pharisees, who trusted in their own righteousness, and they were righteous and despised others. The parable, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like the other men the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Perhaps the tax collector was standing next to him. The Pharisee goes on to say, I fasted twice a week, twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you this, I, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Meaning the tax collector went down to his house justified. The Pharisees did not. They were not justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this helps to point out or at least explain or at least give some context to what justification is. Uh, of course, it says, in, even in the parable here, we know that the justification that came to the tax collector was an instantaneous act of God, which is the impugning righteousness of God to the tax collector for his humility. This is, this is a legal ver verdict. And, uh, the, the imputation of righteousness, justifying someone, is a legal verse it, which... which which nullifies any penalty which may have been coming for, uh, for that person or toward that person for, what, for acts they may have committed. But when the imputation of God's righteousness is laid on that person, the legal verdict is that the penalty has been fulfilled, reconciliation has been established, and the restoration of their standing before God has taken place. An instantaneous act of God that, that imputes, imputes righteousness on someone who did not deserve righteousness other than by faith, and that's, that is how they are justified. Now, there are some things that we ought to remember about what justification is not. Justification is not sanctification. Uh, you, you will remember from past studies and, and certainly in your own uh, understanding that sanctification is that, that gradual process that takes place over a lifetime where we slowly distance ourselves from the sin in our life so that we, we grow daily, hopefully daily, but we grow steadily uh, toward being more like Christ and less like the sinner that we were before we were uh, justified and before we were convicted of our sins and professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is, is not, justification is not sanctification, but at the same time, it's not separate from or apart from sanctification. Where when sanctification takes place, or for sanctification to take place, the person must be, initially, must be justified. 
there, there are some people, and, and we've talked about these people before, uh, and that the word for them is antinomianism. That, that word means that, is that you, you think that all that you, you need to do is that all that uh, for our sanctification process are work-oriented and that uh, uh, the only thing that's needed for salvation is that profession of faith. But that's not what the word, as we've been reviewing it, talks about. In today's lesson, we know that, that justification in Romans 8.1 is a reversal of God's wrath. When we have been justified by God, by instantly by an act of God, when we have been justified, from there, there on, even during that entire process of sanctification... Romans 8, first verse, tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you have become justified in Christ by the righteousness of God which has been imputed to you by your faith in what Christ did for us on the cross, once you have accepted that and you have professed your faith in that, then therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, that is a, a, a lifetime, if you will, of, of walking in the Spirit, but at the same time we're walking in the Spirit, we're also walking in the flesh, meaning that we continue to sin. But there is no condemnation for us in that as we walk in the Spirit, because uh, we, we, that, that first... Uh, I guess doctrine that we talked about is that repentance is that one, even though we, we will continue to sin, if we are repentant in those sins, if we confess those sins, God is, is uh, quickly uh, able to forgive us for those sins. So what shall we say? And of course, this is the, the big question. If, if in fact we have been uh, justified and we are in Christ and there's no condemnation in Christ, uh, there, there are a lot of people, oftentimes they're new Christians, but, but, but certainly I'm sure that there are lots of old Christians too that believe that once you're justified, then you have been given that, that uh, freedom from the penalty of sin and that you can pretty much do anything that you want to do. But certainly that's not what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The idea being is that, is that because we, we covet the grace of God, we pray for the grace of God on our lives and His mercy, and, that it, and of course He pours out His grace and He pours out His mercy when in fact we are usually in some sort of, of an issue in need of His, his mercy and grace is that, that Paul is saying, well, you know, once we've been justified uh, and we have in the, the grace of God and His mercy is available to us um, almost an, on an unlimited basis, on a permanent, uh, as long as we ask for it, uh, shouldn't we just go on doing all of the stuff we've always done so that we can, that, that the grace may abound in us? Because the worse we are, the more grace that we need. And so therefore, shouldn't we just continue to do what we've always done? And the Apostle Paul says, certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? 
and he goes and jumps down to the fifth verse in the, in the sixth chapter. And he says, For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, Christ's death, certainly we all shall, shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, glorified, knowing that this, our old man, was crucified with him, that the body of a sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So that's, that is what we're, we're to be doing during the process of sanctification. And that's why sanctification and justification are tied together. They cannot be separated. A person can't be sanctified if he's never been justified. And if he once he's been justified, he then must, in fact, endure uh, in, in what, what the Apostle Paul is saying here in, in chapter 6 of Romans, is that, that he, he, he then begins that walk of sanctification. That's his, his immediate response to justification is that walk of sanctification, which is, again, to grow apart from sin and to be like Christ. John 10.10 10 tells us that sanctification, I mean, justification is just the beginning. Romans, uh, John 10.10, 10, let me flip back over there real quickly. And John, the apostle says here, the thief does not come to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And so what, what Christ is saying here is, is that I, I don't come in order to, to do those things, to bring you harm in any way. I come in order to make your life abundantly, to give you grace for every situation that you need, to, to give you mercy whenever mercy is, is required. The thief does. He comes to do harm to you, but I'm not the thief. I am, I am here. I come to bring you abundant life and, <clears throat> and that you may have it abundantly. Justification is the heart of God's work on our behalf. There, there is nothing that we can do in Christ until we have been justified. And once we have been justified, then all that we, we do after that is because of that justification and what it frees us to do from that, that, that life of sin and, and uh, that we have been in and that we're no longer uh, slaves to sin and we've been freed from sin, sin and we can start to pursue a sanctified life toward ultimately to glorification. As we said last week, uh, talking about, about uh, faith, uh, justification starts that process off from the beginning all the way to the end, from, from the time that we are uh, uh, called or, or even predestined until the day that we are glorified, whatever that day might come, all of it revolves around that thing of called justification. It, uh, again, it might be, uh, might be well considered to be the linchpin of all that Christ does for us. He does it because of justify. We've been justified. We've been reconciled to God through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for us. The shed blood of Christ uh, and our faith in that and belief in that is why God pronounces us instantaneously justified of His grace and mercy. That's uh, uh, a relatively short and we, we probably could talk about this for, for a much longer period of time, but that really is, is all that, that we need to know uh, today. And I, I would encourage you to, um, to look at probably the 11th chapter of Hebrews. If you want to be inspired to be faithful, if you want to be inspired to, uh, to be 
to improve your sanctification walk, read the 11th chapter of Hebrews because it, it should do that for you. Uh, certainly has for me on many occasions. Uh, let me close with prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you. Uh, we thank you, Father, because you, uh, we know that uh, we have been justified uh, through our faith in the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for that. We, we glorify you for that. Uh, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would be merciful to us. Uh, you know how unfaithful that we can be. Uh, you know that we, Father, that, that, that sometimes we, uh, even though we know what we want to do, uh, we fail to do it. Uh, we know how we want to be. Uh, we fail to be that way. We be something else. Uh, we're, uh, we act in, in other ways. And so we, uh, we ask you to forgive us. Uh, Father, help us. Give us the strength. Give us the, the power of the Spirit that lives within us to be what you have called us to be in Christ Jesus. And, and so that we might be uh, that good and faithful servant uh, that, that uh, you speak about. Uh, all of these things, Father, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.